You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live. Those touch tones mean that it is time for our Straight Talk segment where you get to uh, ask us uh, what you want to know about the faith, and we are very much looking forward to hearing from you. 877-795-0122 is that phone number. You can also leave questions on the Facebook page for Real Presence Radio. You know, so Father Gross, I know you have a couple of burning topics, and so we're going to dive in there until okay. the whiteboard lights up and we have callers online and so forth, but maybe something to whet people's appetite out there to think about. I always like to throw something out there to get yes. thinking to call in on. And, you know, it's that time of the year where we go out on uh, family vacations, summer vacations, or just outings or weekend things or trips or travels, or even I'm, I'm thinking ahead here, um, trying to get pilgrimages started again, this kind of thing with the COVID throughout the world. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, what are folks doing? Are, are they going out? Are they, are they thinking people are vaccinated and no fear anymore? Or are we still locked down in COVID? Uh, kind of things or are people going out and doing the normal things i'm going to boundary waters trip next week i'm so excited to get out there but that's not really a dangerous covid place either you're out there you know separated from everybody out in nature yeah, one of the most uh, ely minnesota one of the most uh, isolated uh, large towns you'll find anywhere <laughs> you, beautiful you, you go to the boundary waters you never want to come home i mean it's, it's just so it's so enchanting out there but but i'm thinking like steve ray announced his uh, pilgrimage is going to go on in september he has another november uh, mm-hmm. supposedly i have one going to the holy land in in october november but the, the whole question again about um being vaccinated are they going to let people in who aren't vaccinated or not and mm-hmm. Stephen ray on radio this morning he was saying that uh, right now they're asking for a negative covid test ah whether you're vaccinated or not because yeah in, interesting but i know this touches people on so many levels we'd love to hear from people what are you thinking what's your philosophy what what are you approaching right. how, how does your faith um incorporated into yeah. your natural life here I've, there are a lot of people who think that a vaccine passport is a step too far i guess or whatever you want to call it that that is something that is impinging upon privacy and that ultimately it's your choice whether or not to receive it or not um you'll hear a lot of arguments about well how you know, thoroughly has this been vetted with regard to FDA uh, research and development and things like that. And then there are others who said, well, you know, I'm hearing about the percentage rate of effectiveness and how rare various other side effects are. Let's just go ahead and get it. That way, whatever I want to do, I can at least show the proof of it. So, you know, and I've heard from different priest friends I have throughout the United States, different bishops are taking different approaches or, you know, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask to mass and whatever but it's it's kind of creating almost a two-tier system or a class system within yeah. the church itself kind of thing and it it i mean and people feel very passionate strongly about these things so right and I mean, there are so many other things that are lending themselves toward division in our society i hate to see things within the heart of the exactly. church exacerbating that so we well. throw that out there as maybe it doesn't have to be that but if that stimulates right. you con in but father gross you've got some really yeah interesting stuff yeah and there. a reminder of that number 877-795-0122 for our straight talk segment here on real presence 
Presence Live. We also have a Facebook page for Real Presence Radio, and uh, you can leave your questions there. Uh, there's a, a publication, Crisis Magazine, that's gone through a couple of different incarnations in the last several decades. And uh, there was an article floating around uh, recently that I had uh, heard about, which uh, is called a COVID After Action Report. And uh, the author is using a pseudonym, Amator Ecclesiae, basically lover of the church. Um, so he, he's wanting to speak about, uh, I'm presuming it's a layman from the United States, speaking about his perspective. And I just want to preface this by saying that hindsight is 2020, right? You know, you have a different perspective than we did back in March of 2020. I think we had mentioned before in the program that neither of us in any of our seminary classes, you know, d d discussed what to do in the case of a global pandemic, you know, so this was very new as much for us as for many different people. A couple of different topics that he brings up, and I just want to preface this also by saying that it's not as though I, you know, completely agree with everything that this author has to say, but I think it is rather a thought provoking. One of them has to do with um, the, this whole idea of essential services versus non-essential services and how the church kind of got wrapped up into that. And the uh, author writes, Catholicism's COVID catastrophe began in the fateful month of March 2020 with this fact. Throughout the United States, the fate of every institution rested on the answer to one all-determining question. Are we an essential or a non-essential service. The fact that ultimately every bishop in the United States, whether by force or by choice, placed the local church entrusted to him on the non-essential services list speaks to an eviscerating failure of identity, priority, and mission. The author continues, During the lockdown, we could obtain the bread that perishes anytime we wished from our local supermarket, but the bread of life was withheld from us for months. This was a catastrophic failure of identity. We are the mystical body of Christ, the extension in the world of the presence and mission of Jesus Christ. We are not only an essential service, we are the essential service, the one thing necessary. If the Catholic Church is not essential, nothing is essential. He goes on to say, the church does not exist to save people from death, but to prepare them well to meet it and to be with them as they do. The work of the church is to save souls, not lives. And I would say, well, certainly if it is God's will to heal someone of a physical, you know, infirmity, we wish for God to do that. Instead, we are left with the bitter irony that in choosing to be of the world, where our COVID-19 response was concerned, we failed for months even to be in it. And this author is really not pulling any punches when it comes to this, but I just wanted to hear, you know, how you react to some of those um, observations. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that number, one 877 We want to hear your voice. Please call us. The, um, okay, so here, here's something which, I mean, the way I'm wired, I, w I think I would have thought about this sooner. I don't know why I didn't, but just recently I had a conversation, and it was about this essential service, the very thing that you're bringing up here. Mm -hmm. And this person I was talking to, who's quite a wise person, uh, they looked at me and they said, Father, d don't, how they say, they said, here's the situation. You got to realize the government defines essential service different than we do. And I said, well, how, how would the government define it? I've never seen a definition somewhere. He said, he said it's all based on taxes. Is it our money or keeping keeping the government going? Mm. See, from the government perspective, that's essential. How you got to keep the government going? I, I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, so for example, he said, a lot of religious people got extremely upset when they saw things like um, 
Oh, your bottle shop or the marijuana, Liquor medical marijuana right. dispensaries. These these different, especially the medical marijuana, this kind of stuff. All this stuff was deemed essential, and kept open. Well, things like your your faith places were kept shut, especially in California. They just was yeah. it just a week ago? I think they draconian measures there. Yeah. Well, and he explained to me. He said, "See those other what were deemed essential services? They have like a." And I don't know, it's going to be based in the local area or state or whatever, but it's like a 50% tax rate or or 70% tax rate where they're generating incredible income to keep the government going. So from you know, a government perspective is not going to be looking at something, is this a material thing, is this a spiritual thing, is this a... They're looking at it like, how are we going to keep business operating yeah. in the course of a pandemic? Well, okay, well, when you hear that, like you and I, we're going to have a different definition of what's essential. Like, mm-hmm. we're going to look at... so. And I don't know, and again, I can't speak for bishops or those who had right. decision-making ability here, whatever, but, you know, did anybody stop and ask the government, how are you defining essential business, and uh, why are you not hearing how we define yeah. what's essential? And I think mm-hmm. I think that was w- one right. of the... M- problems from the beginning yeah. is we didn't define our terms. In a populist uh, twist here, Governor Noem in South Dakota famously said, I don't believe it's my role to tell somebody whether or not what they do is essential. And so that's why she explained right, because kind of hands-off approach relatively. Because an on-the-ground effect was you had your mom-and-pop stores, which were not, you know, mm-hmm. of course they're taxed, but it wasn't the government's looking at, well, right. we're not going to risk And Walmart this. a mile down the street right. was open the whole exactly. time. And again, if you look at it from, well, Oh, if you're thinking from a government perspective, of course that makes complete sense. But we sacrificed the whole yeah. segment, not just religious and spiritual, but right economically well, to keep all these going. different areas of people's livelihoods. So yeah, you know that that's one of the things that I mean. And there are going to be a number of things that stick in people's craw. I guess the 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 question is: Are we just going to bellyache about it, or are we going to channel this into positive, uh, constructive dialogue, looking ahead? Okay, so then then coming back more to home for us be, mm-hmm. on the spiritual side of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you and I both could sit down and come up with a, quite a list of, of positives and negatives that we experienced as priests on the spiritual level from the pandemic. I mean, because there were hidden positive things and some not so hidden that did come out of this. Like, there were some renewals and things that happened. I mean, that are there's always blessings with a flood. You know, there's, yeah. always, there's always a new life that comes after a, a flood, something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but in it, I, I, I do have to say, like, um, I think it did expose that maybe we're lacking a little bit in in spiritual leadership or spiritual clarity or something you know i mean we you know everybody was looking looking and we were looking for a voice to really speak out or come forward and, I, and i'm not sure that that ever really manifested itself from the, yeah. the catholic church perspective there were kind of little areas where you hear little voices right. but nobody really mm-hmm. had that personality step forward and say hey here's the prophetic voice. This is God speaking to us and comforting us at this time. Right. That moves into the next thing that I want to bring up from this same article. And before I do so, one more time, a reminder of our phone number for this Straight Talk segment, 877-795-0122. We really hope to hear from you. There is another question about the charity narrative, as the author calls it, claiming it was charity that compelled us to adopt the secular COVID-19 protocols. In other words, this docility you might 
might say, in order to, to um, uh, go into the lockdowns in such a wide-ranging... Now, I think there was a bishop in New Mexico in April of 2020 who said, you know, this is ridiculous. We're going to res res resume public masses, but, you know, maybe they can only be outside. Maybe there's only five or ten people there, but we can't, you know, be, be locked down like this. And uh, with in, in short order, many other parts of the country were kind of coming around to that, too. In defense of the suspension of public masses, bishops and their communications staff began telling the faithful that closing the church to keep everyone safe from the virus was an act of charity. Essentially, the church running for the bunkers, like everyone else, was pitched as an innovative means of loving our neighbor. With all due respect, this is sophistry, and it does not hold up to scrutiny. The essential services that stayed open and soldiered on were not denounced for their lack of charity. They were hailed for their heroism. You know, so this is another area where the author is just kind of, you know, steaming about you their know, experience. Okay, so we, yeah. you know, we just celebrated the feast day of St. Aloysius Gonzaga, right? Mm -hmm. and he was known, this young man, he comes from a wealthy background. He, his parents are disappointed that he chose religious life over their, their, their home business. His dad was a hard man who, you know, wanted to drive him to success, military career and all this thing. He gave it up to be this fledgling new, new group of people called the Friends of Jesus, you know, Society of Jesus, the Jesuits, right? Right at the beginning. And he mm -hmm. just kind of like our Meg in our first segment, you know, had this calling from the Lord to become a missionary. And he's a young man, 18, he signs everything over. Well, within a couple of years, he's dead. Why is he dead within a couple of years? Because meanwhile, this plague comes up in Rome. And, and he didn't live in an ivory tower. He said, I'm going to minister to these people however I can, even with the risks. And his, you know, yeah. his mom wrote and pleaded with him, get out of there, get out of there, it's yeah. going to cause your death. And, and, he, and, he, and he just says, I, I'm the love of Christ for those who are suffering. I, I don't run, I go in, we go into, we, you know, and I... I, have do you remember, do you ever watch the Band of Brothers? It was this kind of you know it's kind of a I've graphic, heard of it. Yes, oh, powerful, powerful show. Was it an HBO miniseries? I, I you know I can't remember, okay. but it just I just know I watched it and just so so powerful, real life stories of World War II veterans. Yeah, who, and they interview the veterans after each episode okay. of this dramatization of what they went through. One famous episode where there's there's this uh, pri they show these privates who are so they're so scared to death because everybody's getting mowed down, they won't get out of the bunker. And all kinds of bad things are happening because they won't follow orders because they're so they're just paralyzed by fear. Mm -hmm. And there's this one guy, he's just popping up and running and going, and he's becoming a hero and he goes into every battle and he never gets a, a bullet in him while everybody else is going down. And this one man who's scared to death ends up in the foxhole with this other guy who's just going and he looks at him and says, Aren't you afraid to die? Aren't you afraid to die? And he goes, You you have no fear of death if you know you're already dead. And he wow. popped up, ran out, off he went. Now, that guy survived the war. He never had a scratch on him. But at that moment, I was watching that, and he said, he said, how can you be afraid to die when you're already dead? I was like, that's the Catholic faith. Like, when you're baptized, you're, you're baptized into death already. You're already put to death by Christ Romans Jesus. Romans chapter 6. And, you, and you're, you're raised to eternal life. So on November 1st, 1970, I was put to death in Christ Jesus. And if, if I'm dead already... Um, uh, somebody who's dead already is not afraid to die and, and and so there was i think what got exposed here is we've are just our baptismal graces and this the author of this article what he's talking yeah, about yeah. is like you didn't even give us a chance you didn't give us a chance to be charitable or to love or mm. kind of a thing and I, I think i've heard that sorrow from other voices not yeah. just this 
this article. Right. Of, right. I think also of what uh, St. Paul says in another one of his letters, the life I live now is not my own. It is Christ's life lived in me or through me. So uh, 877-795-0122 is our number. We still have some time available for those who wish to chime in and bring any questions. Uh, for those who are just listening, uh, just tuning in to us, Father Jason Leffer and Father James Gross joining you from the Diocese of Fargo. Um, another big story, I guess, with regard to the church in the last few days, and, and this is not something unusual in terms of the meetings, because twice a year there are meetings that involve all of the bishops in the United States. Every national conference of Catholic bishops has various you know meetings where they all get together, and uh, the spring general assembly had, had taken place. And uh, what the, certainly the decision out of a number of things they acted upon that had the most amount of press or ink spilled, you might say, uh, concerning what they did, was a vote to go ahead with regard to uh, the drafting of a document and a consideration of teaching uh, regarding the issue of Eucharistic coherence. And um, you know, there's a lot of fireworks uh, going on about this because of what that phrase means and, 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 and to whom it is targeted, you know, is this a way of, um, uh, is this a way of shaming, uh, you know, various uh, people and in, in certain high standing, you know, uh, positions and things like that. And one of the, con- one of the concerns, I guess, you know, when you have this decision and then when it is, I think it was somewhere around two thirds of the bishops voting in favor of this with a fairly significant number of them not. My worry is that it sets up almost this unfair sort of scorecard as people are watching and saying, well, the good bishops did the right thing, and so the the bishops who didn't do that must be the bad bishops. And what does that do for us in terms of the, you know, the unity of the faith? Well, you know, I, I, again, this is one of those topics, you, you got to take a step back and get a, a bigger picture first, because it's so, it's so poignant to right now at... You know, we we have a, a a president who claims to be Catholic and who is doing very, very publicly, you know, right at the heart of being Catholic in the United States with pro-life or right. uh, you know, pro-abortion kind of a thing, yeah. and and so a lot of people are hurt and confused by that, and so it's it's a it's a burning thing. But if you take a step back for a moment and look at it, this is not new. I mean, th- this, this not at all. <laughs> not in the history of the church. This is not something new, and 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 really. If I say, this is probably coming from, we can thank St. Pius X for this, because if we go back to the beginning of last century, you know, he looked, and, and at that point, the church is a living thing, and at that point, majority of people were not receiving communion by self-choosing. There's this kind of this idea, um, you know, I'm too sinful to receive, or... The precept says <laughs> once a year, and so yeah, after having yeah. received confession... Like, the, the, the practice of it was that, um, you know, uh, gosh, we're such kind of such sinners or whatever we shouldn't receive very often. I think, well, Pope Pius X came out and said, no, 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 it's our daily bread. We should be receiving as often as we can. You know, focus on being in the state of grace, of course, or whatever. And then that's where, like, more, like, daily communion and, and mm-hmm. devotion to daily Mass uh, really got renewed. Right. And Not and kind of that past, uh, I don't want to say passive, but not just a matter of from afar, you know, let's say to, uh, uh, you know, adore the host exposed on the altar, but not... Hardly ever received, and then and then maybe since uh, the nineteen sixties, we've we the pendulum has swung the other way, where it's it's like, give me that bread, 
give me that bread. Uh, uh, that bread is mine. I'm entitled to that bread. Like, whoa, hold on here a minute. Do, yeah. do you have an understanding of what this is and what's going on? This is actually the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And right. and to the point where people say, and I've had this conversation with a lot of people, I'm in, um, why, I, you ask, why do you go to Mass? Well, I go to Mass to receive communion. Ooh. Okay, if that's our understanding, we've because you do not have a moral obligation to receive communion. Mm -hmm. You, the moral obligation is to go to mass, participate, and jo to join in the prayers of worshiping God the Father in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that altar from two thousand years ago, made present now in atonement for our sins. You know, I always like to point out to people that the way you can know this, understand this, is the very, the very last thing that is said to them before they leave is, um, eat a. Um, oh, come on now. Oh, you are sent. <laughs> okay, but that's not it. See, that's the point. That's a mistranslation. Okay. Ite literally means you all go. Misa mm asked -hmm. literally says it is sent. It's not about the people being sent. And since Vatican II, we have this understanding that the, the command is even the four options are mistranslations of what it is. It literally says you all go. It's a release. You can go now. It is sent. The sacrifice to the Father is sent. In atonement for your sins, you can go now. That's, that's literally the understanding of what it says. Literally what it says. We have this understanding that it says, you all go, um, you're sent into the world now to make a difference. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but that is not what it says. And that's not what's there. Well, because of that's been emphasized since Vatican II, people have this understanding. I go to Mass, receive communion, and now I go to change the world, which I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But let, let's get this right. And, it, and even our language, we no longer talk about it, the holy sacrifice of the Mass and mm -hmm. the emphasis about a holy meal, which it is. Mm -hmm. Okay, but, but because of that, there's this whole... So now we, we, we get into this thing where we're, we think we should write a document and, and the Eucharist is becoming politicized. Well, who can receive, who can't receive? Well, the weaponization, yeah. The person who can receive is who is in the state of grace and is in communion with the teachings of the Catholic Church and, and is in right relationship with God is open to receive. And the person who, who, who isn't, literally St. Paul says, you eat and drink condemnation upon yourself, right. judgment of the Lord upon you, if you're at odds with the Lord in a, a mortal way when you receive this. And so I, I think that's why I say take a step back and say, whoa, wait a minute, we're, we're, we're accusing each other of politicizing the Eucharist. H hold on there, folks. What's really going on here? What does it mean to come to Mass to worship God through the sacrifice of Christ? And then, and of course, ideally, we want we want everyone who goes to receive because that's that is a um and it confirms what it's all about but the moral obligation is not to receive communion the moral obligation is to worship god in christ jesus that sacrifice that's taking place that's what you have a moral obligation to do so then you come back to COVID, and i remind this people of like the bishops have denied us of communion and, and, and i said wait a minute this is an opportunity to be renewed in your faith i mean you yes being physically present is awesome but you actually can worship. You can fulfill the moral obligation from a distance. You, you don't need to be within 100 feet to, to morally fulfill this obligation. And again, the obligation is to worship God, to be united with God. Now, do we want to deny people communion? No, I mean, no, no, no. no. We, we, we don't want to take that lightly for sure mm -hmm. or whatever. 
okay, then coming back to this particular situation, you know, um, whether it's President Biden or you or I, who might be mm-hmm. at odds with the teaching of the church, it, th- there, there is, like, <laughs> people go, it seems like they fall into a couple camps. It's just like, well, it's none of the priest's business to tell the, the communicant whether they can receive or not. And the communicant says, well, it's none of anybody's business to tell me. I'll, I'll decide. Well, it's actually one of those both-end deals. The, the priest really does have a moral responsibility to, um, to communicate and teach and help people understand. And as a pastor, a good pastor, like if I have sheep and I know that one of my sheep is sick, I'm not going to pretend like he's not. I'm going to go and do everything I can to make him healthy before he dies. Mm-hmm. You know, um, It's the same thing if I'm aware of one of my sheep being spiritually or morally sick. Well, I'm going to go do individually with that person everything that I can to help, to assist, to teach, to w- how can I be in this with you? How can we get to a better place? Um, and if they're obstinate and happily refuse, and in a very public way, yeah. are, are, are going against the clear teachings of the church, well, then there needs to be a public clarification of what this person's relationship with the church. And, there, and the canon law says there's a moral obligation on the bishop or the pastor in that case mm-hmm. but then on the other hand there, there is there is lots of room in the church to say like the individual person is working with their conscience where they are and going forth and that needs to be respected as well and it but if the, it all comes down to relationship yeah. does does this person have a relationship with their pastor pastor with the person through christ jesus through the sacrifice of the mass and the holy eucharist and are we working towards unity here or what you know i mean that that right. is the healthy understanding yeah. of it or so. is a person showing up to mass just in order to get to uh, the um the photo op so to speak to to be seen by those whom they want seeing them you right. know that they're participating in things in so, so i'd say like even as father gross as you are talking to anybody who's listening this is a great this is an invitation it's a great opportunity examine your own relationship with the mass with the eucharist with communion with mm-hmm. i mean are you at a full understanding, a full relationship with the Lord in the, this this incredible grace and gift that He gives us to be mm-hmm. united with God the Father, um, or, or is there room for all of us to right. mm-hmm. come to a Eucharistic? Yeah, there, there, there's a certain zeal among some people that you know we just wish that um, whether it be bishops or priests to just come m- marching in with a sledgehammer and just <laughs> break everything down and that sort of thing. Kind of a, a parting shot thought that I wanted to offer here. Think about what we are teaching and what we have been unfailingly teaching through the 2,000 years of the uh, church's history. If it's not really Jesus in Holy Communion, then uh, why remain Catholic? (laughs) There's so many other options. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, um, well, anyway, those are just some of the things that are on our minds and hearts. And uh, uh, the the conversation certainly continues by people posting on our Facebook page here at uh, Real Presence Radio. But um, yeah, let's let's just be sure to hold one another up in prayer and to... um, get to the fundamentals of what a relationship with the Lord means um, and uh, uh, the the accountability that we have to God and to others. Um, You know, ultimately... Uh, we we alone know what's what's in the depths of our souls. Our our neighbors may see things, and you have certain judgments, and like you know, uh, reach certain conclusions. Um, we ourselves know um, best what is happening, and whether or not we are choosing to be transparent before Christ, uh, to allow Him to open that door 
you know, or to to open that door to him. You know, the famous painting based on Revelation chapter three: "Behold, I stand at the door and knock." There's no doorknob on the outside of that door, so he is not forcing his way in. He's remi- he's relying on us to open the door of our hearts to him and to allow that uh, con- that that light to come in for conversion so that we can see ourselves as we truly are and uh, thirst for uh, the fullness of the Holy Spirit living in us. So one hour is already in the books. Up next, how can the diary of a young girl become an important historical piece of literature? Literary Thursday returns as uh, we have our next interview with Nancy Gord joining us at the top of the next hour. You're tuned in to Real Pleasance Live. Please stay with us. (laughs) 